12 years ago today, my joy increased. It skyrocketed. August 7th, 2004, I married my best friend, Christina Miller. And for 25 long and arduous years, I limped through life without her. How could I make it? And then 12 years ago, God created what has turned out to be a partnership filled with joy and reward. Now, there are a lot of reasons why I am glad to be married to Christina. Her friendship and her cooking uh, are definitely high on that list. But out of the reasons, out of all the reasons why I am glad to be married to Christina, uh, there is one reason that tops the list. Partnership in the gospel. Partnership in the gospel. Christ is the aim of our marriage partnership, and that has increased our joy. Partnership in the gospel is a never-failing way to increase your joy. A never-failing way to increase your joy. Now, I don't know what your joy level is like right now, but this message is crafted to help you increase your joy. That is the aim And it will increase your joy, but only if you are serious about applying this message. So here's the simple point for this morning. A surefire way to increase your joy and the joy of other saints is to give more of yourself to partnership in the gospel with other saints working to advance the gospel. Find people who are most happy in God and working really hard to advance the gospel so that more people can be happy in God and join them. Imitate them. Do what they do with them. And if you do that, I guarantee your joy will increase. Partnership in the gospel is one of the most effective ways to increase your joy. We're going to analyze Paul's joy. And then we're going to translate it into some practical things that we can do to increase our joy. And I think that what we're going to cover today, really for the rest of the series, is going to challenge you. It's going to help you reorganize your priorities so that you can align yourself with the most joy. Now before we do that, we need to remember something. Paul wrote to all the saints at Philippi, collectively. That's important. They heard these words collectively. So it would be a mistake for you or for I to approach this and to read Philippians in an individualistic way as if it was just speaking to you apart from all the rest of the saints. Philippians is absolutely for you, but it is for you as you are a partner in the gospel with other saints in a local church. Now, here's why that's important. Partnership in the gospel and striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, as Paul said in Philippians 1.27, is something that you do with other saints. It's corporate in nature. Throughout Philippians, it's interesting to to look at the word you. Throughout, it's plural, a plural you. It speaks to all the saints collectively at Philippi. So don't read this as if it is just you and Jesus. 
Don't, don't do that. That would be a big mistake. We must read it and understand it in the context of our partnership with other saints who are working hard to advance the gospel. Then we'll be able to get the most out of Philippians. Our faith in Christ unites us in inseparable partnership with other saints. And that is to increase our joy. So each of the following points uh, includes the phrase, you'll notice this, saints at Jerusalem church. Saints at Jerusalem church, that's intentional. Philippians was written to a local church in one city, so it seems natural for us to read and apply Philippians in the context of our church. Jerusalem church. Now, if you are a guest with us this morning, and we have a few guests, um, you might be connected to another Christ-centered, Bible-believing, great Bible-saturated local gathering of saints. You can take each of these points and apply them in your context with the saints that you have chosen to partner with in the gospel. But for most of us here this morning, Um, The the natural outflow or application of this is Jerusalem Church, that we are partnered with one another to carry on the gospel. So let's dig into this text together, eight points from verses 3 through 8 that will tell you how to increase your joy. Increase your joy, number one, by joyfully remembering and praying for the saints at Jerusalem Church with consistency and thanksgiving Uh, thankfulness, rather, to your God. Paul began verse 3, I thank my God. It it wasn't aimless gratitude, like, I'm so thankful, I'm so blessed, I'm so grateful. What what is that directed toward? There is no target of that kind of, of aimless gratitude. Paul thanked his God. That's intimate and personal. His God was the target of his thanks. Of his thanks. Paul was thankful to God for the Philippian saints. Every time Paul remembered and prayed for all the saints at Philippi, which apparently was consistent because he said things like, in all my remembrance and in every prayer of mine for you, he always was thankful. He always made his prayer with joy. Paul was a joyful man. The kind of prayer that Paul mentioned twice in verse 4 is petitionary prayer or a prayer that makes urgent requests of God. Paul pleaded for the Philippians, all of the Philippians, and his prayers were soaked with thankfulness, soaked with joy. We'll get into why Paul prayed like this, but for now, I just want his thankfulness and his joy to make an impression on you. Thankfulness and joy. Do you regularly pray for the saints at Jerusalem with great joy and thanksgiving? There are many reasons to thank your God for the saints at Jerusalem church. The joy level, I think you'll find this true, the joy level of many churches is so low because they take very little joy in each other, and they're not very thankful for each other. Selfishness, disunity, and grumbling are in so many churches, and that kills joy and gratitude in the church. But, they, but those things don't have to kill joy. 
We can actually fight for joy here at Jerusalem Church by consistently praying for each other with thankfulness to God and great joy in God and great joy in each other. Now, studying this passage has convicted me. You know, it's got to go through the pastor first. So I read this stuff, and I'm like, oh, man. So in our family, we, we added to our prayer time, or we focused our prayer time, um, by, by having something that we're thankful for at Jerusalem Church. And we worked that in. My family is so thankful for you, very thankful for you as a church. And it's great to sit there as a dad to hear your young kids pray thanksgiving to God for their friends at Jerusalem Church. That's meaningful to me. And we're trying as a family to increase our joy by being more thankful to God for you, taking more joy in God's goodness in you and through you. Now, why, why did Paul pray for the Philippians with such exuberant thankfulness and joy? Well, I think the answer starts with the origin of joy. Where does joy really come from? Paul said, I thank my God. His thankfulness was directed to God. Well, why would he do that? Because God's sovereign grace was at work in the saints at Philippi. And that was the root of his cause of joy. That was the reason why Paul could be so joyful Paul loved to see God at work in the saints, in the church. And here's how that translates for us. We can increase our joy by number two, delighting in persistent partnership in the gospel with the saints at Jerusalem church. Verse five explains, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul prayed with joy because the Philippians had partnered with him in the gospel. And I use the word persistent partnership because their partnership had started when they had heard the gospel, when they repented of their sins, trusted in Christ, became converted, and then it hadn't stopped. It just kept on going. Now, partnership in the gospel is central to understanding the book of Philippians. You may have heard before the Greek word koinonia. How many of you have heard that word koinonia before? A few of you. One definition of koinonia is this. The act of sharing in the activities or privileges of an intimate association or group. Another definition says koinonia is a shared conviction that manifests itself as mutual responsibility and status. Now, how many of you uh, know the name Paul Allen? (laughs) Two, two people. How many of you know the name Bill Gates? All right, all right. These two men were actually high school buddies, and when Gates dropped out of Harvard, they created Microsoft together, which I actually didn't know. And their partnership made them both billionaires. Business Insider said this about Gates and Allen. Although it can be dangerous to mix friendship and business, the two pulled it off thanks to a shared obsession with computers and a passion for entrepreneurship, hence the billions of dollars. All right. That's koinonia. That's koinonia, a mutual obsession, a passion, and those two things converging to produce a partnership 
in some action, in some common goal. Partners share status and they share responsibility and they move ahead together toward a shared goal. Koinonia. The Philippians' partnership with Paul was way better than billions of dollars. It was a glorious partnership, a partnership in the gospel, which is worth more than everything. It was a partnership in the gospel. Their partnership launched from this mutual reception of the saving grace of God in the gospel. God began a good work in them. Paul called the saints fellow partakers of grace in verse 7. Along with Paul, the Philippians had received all of the benefits, all of the privileges, and all of the blessings of salvation and relationship with God through Christ. They were also partners in the gospel in the sense that they supported Paul in ministry. Uh, Philippians 4 uh, verse 15 mentions that the Philippians were the only church to give and receive with Paul. Paul said in chapter 4, verse 18, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied. Having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. But they didn't just send money to sit back and to watch Paul advance the gospel. They advanced the gospel with Paul. That's koinonia, partnership in the gospel. Dr. G. Walter Hansen said this, their faithfulness in the work of proclaiming the gospel was evidence of the reality of their personal participation by faith in the benefits of the gospel. What that means is the fuel that powers faithful partnership in the gospel is receiving and enjoying the benefits of the gospel. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to taste His grace in order for that to inform your partnership in the gospel, the advance of the gospel. So here it is practically for you. Your joy will increase when you are obsessed with the advance of the gospel. Obsessed can't get enough, must see it advance. Your dogged participation in the gospel will bring you more joy when you delight in it. The Mannheim Project, increase our joy because we partnered in loving others for the advance of the gospel. Did did you taste it? Did you taste an increase of joy in your life through the Manheim Project because you were working side by side with the saints on something valuable? You see, Chris Shirk and Josh Euninger, all right, helped us partner together for that increase of joy in God. And we thank you men for taking the lead on that. That's koinonia. So how are you hearing what I'm saying? The the application is not get involved, church. The application is delight yourself in partnership with the saints at Jerusalem Church. Isn't that much better? 
um, and joyfully do whatever you possibly can to see the gospel advance in our community. And if you do that, I promise you, your joy will increase. We can increase our joy by number three, being confident in God's sovereign work of grace in all the saints at Jerusalem Church. Verse six, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is critical for you to see in that verse that it is God who began the good work in them. Paul was absolutely sure, no question in his mind, that God's sovereign grace began the good work. The partnership in the gospel that Paul mentioned in verse 5 and the partakers with me of grace that he mentioned in verse 7 was God's sovereign grace at work in the saints in verse 6. Do you see that all working together? So Paul's joy was fueled by his confidence in the sovereignty of God. Confidence in God increases joy. Do you agree with that? Years ago, I rode the world's largest sky coaster, a 300-foot pendulum. It was amazing. Awesome ride. And my joy was increased on the ride because I was confident in the quality work of the engineers and builders. The, The ride was fun because I knew I could ride it and it wouldn't fling me into the next county. It, it, it would bring me back safely. And okay, I can enjoy this, this being up this high. Wow, I can see the earth. Uh, it, it was great. Are you sure that God's sovereign grace is at work in the saints at Jerusalem Church? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you taste it? Does it make you happy to see others growing in Christ? When you're confident in God's grace at work in the saints, you will be more joyful. And if we are to be as happy as we can be, which I want to be as happy as I can be, we can't waste time doubting God, sitting around, I don't know if he's at work, I can't really see him, I'm so discouraged right now. We must be sure that he is at work and we must rejoice at the work that he is doing. Amen? Come on now. Don't fall asleep on me day after the picnic. Uh Uh-huh. All right. We can increase our joy by number four, being assured that what God commences, God completes in the saints at Jerusalem Church. Paul was absolutely certain, completely persuaded, entirely convinced that what God started in the Philippians, God would finish in the, in the Philippians. Paul was sure because God was reliable, not because the Philippians were reliable. It was God that began the good work. That's where his confidence was. Listen, I, I want you to take this to heart. Bad theology kills joy, so don't have it. Don't have bad theology. Don't buy the weird things that everybody writes about. And cre- Study your Bibles. And uh, some people actually believe, and I know this is a touchy issue, but it's bad theology. Some people believe that saints can lose their salvation. They live with that pressure, all right? Will I be saved tomorrow? Will I do something so bad, so heinous, that God's going to put me out of his favor and I'll be lost forever? 
And that's a real concern for a lot of people. Philippians 1.6 is one of the most powerful and clear and comforting verses in the Bible on the sovereignty of God and the security of believers. You've got to believe verse 6. It's not written there just to whatever. Believe it. Two observations from verse 6. You should be looking at the verse. Number one, God began the good work in you. You didn't begin it. It doesn't originate with you. God wanted to do something amazing inside of you, and so he just did it to bring himself glory. Number two, the good work that God began, God will also complete. In other words, listen closely. When God's grace saves people, it keeps them saved and produces greater holiness in them, which is called sanctification. We are sanctified by grace just as we are saved by grace. God's grace doesn't stop working after you get your free ticket to heaven. It continues to work. It continues to work itself out, and it continues to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. Are you becoming more like Jesus? That's the intent of saving grace. His saving grace is persistent grace. His saving grace is finishing grace. What about the person who walked away from the faith and they never came back? What about that? That's easy. Easy, easy, easy. God never began the the good work in them because God finishes what he starts. And if that was legitimate faith, and if that was legitimate saving faith, it would have endured. And because it didn't, it proved to be false. We see that in the book of John. We studied that for like eight years. (laughs) So be sure of it, my friends, that God finishes what he starts. I played high school basketball for Garden Spot. (laughs) All right. Uh, But we were taught to finish our layups. You got to finish, meaning that if we beat our defender and if we got to the hole, we better put the ball in, all right, because we got in there. We're, We're close. Don't miss a layup. Finish it. God doesn't blow by the defenders of sin, Satan, death, and hell, get to the basket and miss the layup. God finishes his layups. God finishes. Our salvation is secure in Christ because what God starts, he finishes, and he'll finish it when? When Christ returns. That's when it's done. That's when he's finished. Awesome reality. And there's a reason why in wedding vows that it contains the word, until death do us part and not until I find someone better. There's a reason. Now, I would have been very sad 12 years ago if Christina, out of her mouth, would have said, until I find someone better. <laughs> oh, no, I'm in trouble. There's tons of people better than me. You know, but does it make you happy knowing that God has committed himself to finish what he started in you? He's going to honor his covenant. He's going to honor his promises. He won't divorce you, church. When you see what God is doing in the saints here, when you see growth, are you thinking to yourself, God's going God's to complete that. 
God's going to bring that to an end. And doesn't that thinking that way increase your joy in God? I think our lack of assurance drains our joy. Some of you need to hear that and you need to work on the assurance of your salvation. Trust God that he's not telling you a lie. Assurance increases joy. You need to take that joy. It's yours to have, so take it. Glut yourself on God's joy that he gives you. Another way, number five, thinking and feeling deeply for the saints at Jerusalem Church. Verse seven, it is right for me to feel this way about you all. The word for feel here is phroneo, which actually means to think or to form an opinion. It shows up 10 times in Philippians, the popular word. It wasn't just feeling for Paul. It was rational. It was thinking. He thought rightly about them. He thought the right things about them, true things. And yet it was more than just cold rationality. He felt deeply about the things that he was saying. He felt a warm affection for them. It was thinking and it was feeling. Paul thought about the saints and Paul felt deeply about the saints. Why? Because he held them in his heart. He held them in his heart. Verse 8 shows Paul's deep affection. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul said that he loved and longed for the Philippians and that they were his, quote, joy and crown. Paul was right to think and feel that way about, about them. Some professing Christians seem to think more about their pets than they do about God's people, the saints. They kiss little Sparky and let it lick all over. If you do that, that's gross. You got to stop that, man. They dress him in that little cute Christmas sweater and prance him around everywhere. They take him on vacations. They consider the dog or the cat, whatever, to be part of the family. And at the same time, oddly enough, they feel so indifferent. They, they, they feel so unconcerned about the people that have been redeemed alongside of them and that they'll spend eternity with in heaven. Just, yeah, sparky. I mean, it, and I think the black-eyed peas were actually correct. Where is the love? Where is the love? And because there is so little love and affection in so many churches, no wonder so many Christians have a paper-thin joy. Could it be that your joy level is so low right now because you're not holding the saints here at Jerusalem in your heart? If your affection for the saints grows, I think your joy is going to as well. Don't you think so? King David wrote something that we need to think about. Psalm 16, verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight. David delighted in God's holy people. John Piper said this about this verse. He means that godless people don't give him delight in their godless ways. Only the godly do. What delights him about people is how they treasure God and exalt God. This is the sweetness of his relationship. Maybe your joy level is low right now because you are delighting in godless people doing godless things. I'm not advocating cutting off relationships with non-Christians. That would be completely counterproductive and irrational to what we're actually trying to do, which is to advance the gospel. Okay? 
But that's not what I mean. What I think we need to hear, though, is encouragement to delight in the saints more as we think and feel deeply about them and partner with them in gospel ministry. One of the ways to increase your joy and, uh, is to increase your affection for the saints at Jerusalem Church. What else? Well, we can increase our joy by number six, sharing in generous giving and receiving with the saints at Jerusalem Church. In verse 7, Paul used the phrase, partakers with me of grace. The word partakers is similar to koinonia. The word is sug koinonos, and you can hear the, the, the same type of sounds, meaning co-participants or companions or sharers. The idea is that the saints at Philippi and, and Paul were sharers of grace. A few things help us understand what that is. In verse 7, Paul mentioned his imprisonment. Then in Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul used the verb form of partakers, and he said, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Uh, in verse 15, he mentioned partnership in giving and receiving. In verse 17, Paul said, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. The Philippians helped Paul. They came alongside of him, which was to their credit. So the Philippians received God's grace as they gave to Paul, and Paul received God's grace through the Philippians as he received the gifts that God gave to him through the Philippians to meet his needs. The Philippians were blessed with their grace in their giving, and Paul was blessed in grace with his getting. As the Philippians gave to Paul, it was clear that they were also suffering with him in the gospel. They were in it together. They were, they were striving. They were sharing. They were meeting needs. They were suffering together, together. Now, my family is so thankful for your generosity to us uh, so that I can proclaim the truth of God. Uh, we are blessed you also will be blessed in your giving and in your support, and hopefully you are blessed in receiving the gospel ministry that I work very hard to give you. So that's just one way that this principle plays out in the church, and all glory to God for your giving, my giving, your receiving, my receiving, as we do that together. I'll ask you a tough question. Do the saints at Jerusalem know your needs? It's just something I've sensed at Jerusalem Church that a lot of you are very hesitant to share anything about what you need. And so how on earth are any of us supposed to get, I mean, if we don't know? Do you know the needs of other people? Are you asking questions to try to dig down to get to the needs? Are you working together? Don't look at me, look at each other. Are you working together to meet each other's needs? See, if we are quiet about our needs and we try to handle everything on our own, I got this, oh, no, thank you for the offer, but I don't really need it right now, we are killing joy in our church. We're killing the opportunity for more joy to happen because as we share and in giving and receiving, our joy increases. And I think it's pride. Pride. I don't want people to know about my needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs, intellectual needs. I just don't want people to know. I'm going to keep everybody at arm's length, but you that, Pride kills joy. We have to overcome that. We have to give. We have to receive. Be happy in giving, sharing in giving and receiving. 
Another way to increase your joy is by, number seven, defending and confirming the gospel with the saints at Jerusalem Church. Even though Paul was in prison, he was advancing the gospel. Look, at, look down at verse 12, if you would. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Bad things happen to Paul. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. For Christ. Now verse 16. I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The word defense is apologia. uh, And you might hear in that apologetics. Apologetics. Apologia means to give an answer or a reply and attempt to prove something right. Uh, Paul's imprisonment was for the purpose of making a reasoned defense for the gospel, a defense that would validate the gospel. And the Philippians were partners in that defense and confirmation. We've all heard the phrase, no pain, no gain. It's true. Many times the things that bring the most reward in life are the things that are hard to do. They're not easy. You have to work hard at them. But if you put in the hard work, oh man, it's worth it. It comes back to you. You are rewarded. Paul's pain was for the advance of the gospel and ultimately Paul's gain in the gospel. Same for the Philippian saints. Defending the gospel, my friends, requires pain. It's it's not easy. It's hard work. There takes sacrifice. There takes great suffering. It's not easy to defend the gospel in our culture. But when you join together with others, saints, to defend and confirm the gospel, you're just going to reap incredible joy from, from that partnership. Now, it is becoming increasingly difficult to be a true, Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian in America. If you stand on the truth of God's word and say what God has said and be faithful to the text and live like a Christian should live, you will be vilified in one way or another. Guaranteed. You just will be. But when we are, there is an opportunity in our pain to defend and confirm the gospel and to increase our joy. All you got to do is just believe what Jesus said. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When people hate and mistreat us because we're standing on the truth, because of Jesus now, our joy can actually increase in that persecution. It's crazy, I know, but it's true. As we focus on the great reward that is ours in heaven and as we focus on advancing the gospel in the world, there is joy in that. You will get your reward, dear saint. What is there to fear in contending and confirming the gospel if the suffering that comes from it increases our joy in God, increases our eternal reward? What are we fearing here? so easy to fear here, though. We have joy when we defend and confirm the gospel together and suffer together for Christ. Isn't it easier to go out two by two than to go out on your own? So to know we've got brothers and sisters who are in us in this battle right here in our community, press on. So here's the last one. Increase your joy by number eight, sincerely yearning 
for the saints at Jerusalem Church with the affection of Christ Jesus. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. This was a type of oath for Paul. He was calling on God to testify to the depth of his affectionate yearning for the saints. Paul yearned for them with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul's love was deep. I mean, this is supernatural, divine love. The, the word affection is the Greek word for intestines. That's gross, but it is. Um, and, and that sounds gross, but it was a metaphorical way of talking about this deep, guttural compassion and affection for saints. Later in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. All the saints were deeply loved by Paul. He had affection for all of them. I have affection for my children. Deep affection. I'd give my life for them. And I want the best for them. I, I long to see them grow and flourish. I long to, to, to see the three be godly and strong men and to see the one diamond in the rough be a beautiful woman of God. I want God for my kids. I want joy for my kids. I want fulfillment in, for my kids. And I want it so badly. And when Paul approached the Philippian church, they were his type of spiritual children. He planted the church in Philippi. He shared the gospel and saw them respond. And he wanted God's best for them. And that's how we should yearn for one another. With this deep affection, this familial affection. Because we are family, amen? All right, wanting more joy for each other. The eight, the eight things that I've introduced to you, these points, are rooted in the affection of Christ Jesus. His affection for us, the saints, is off the charts. There is no measuring it. He, he is the one who is building his church. He is the one that is infusing joy and infusing gratitude inside of his saints. He is the power behind it all. He is the power of our joy. You can't do any of this sermon at all without the affection of Christ taking root inside of your heart, without God's sovereign grace going to work on you and producing this type of affection. Joy cannot be separated from God's sovereign grace and affection working in you. So if you're like me, and you look at this eight, and you're like, oh my goodness. Man, I need to make massive strides. I think the starting place is right here. Psalm 37, 4. You've heard it before, probably. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Now watch how this plays out. When you delight yourself in God, he will give you more desire and delight in the saints. And as you have more desire and delight in the saints and you partner with them in the gospel, you will have more joy in God and it's compounding joy as you are flourishing in that. So partnering with the saints is essential to your joy. It's compounding joy. If you don't feel any of these eight things, if you look at this and you're like, hey, this is just another language for me, then you need to start by delighting yourself in God so that God can then give you a desire to delight in his church. So many people don't get it. I've talked to some of these people very recently. They have no clue of the joy that they can have in the church. And I think the starting point has to go back, okay, well then if something's off with my joy in this area, then I have to delight in God more. 
I've got to go to God because he will fill me. And when he fills me, then the practical outworking will be more delight in his saints, the excellent ones. So I think if you want to be a more joyful person, you need to throw yourself in front of the bus of God's grace and affection. Be mowed down by it. Go to Scripture in order to encounter God and to be in the presence of God. Ask Him to increase your delight because you don't have it. And strive to obey every single thing, every little jot and tittle that He puts on that page. You strive to obey that with your whole heart. And then start giving yourself more and more and more to partnership in the gospel. Jump all in, my friends, and see if if God doesn't do something amazing in your life to increase your joy in him and increase your joy in the saints at Jerusalem Church. Father, thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for speaking so clearly. It's, I don't think our problem is understanding this. I think our problem is a desire problem. We don't want to do this. And sometimes it gets hard because the sheep are stinky and they bite hard. So God, I pray that you do a work of your sovereign grace and spirit in Jerusalem church to increase our joy in you first and then as an overflow of that to increase your joy, our joy in each other. We want it, God, for this church. I pray that we are the happiest church in the world because we love you so much and delight in you and we delight in each other and just we just love getting together to encourage one another to pray together to sing together to hear the word read together to study the word together to hear the word preached together give us great joy in these things God all for your glory that we may worship you as you want us to worship you this is a taste of heaven God in Jesus name amen